We the Power, a podcast from Patagonia. We the Power. Hello and welcome to your second instalment of We the Power, a podcast from Patagonia all about people power, renewable community energy made by the people for the people. I'm Lucy Siegel. Now, if you heard the first episode, thank you for coming back. And you will have heard a story of persistence, matriarchal kick-ass solar panels for social justice, social housing, world first, train platforms and whale blubber. It's too much to explain if you didn't hear it. So do go back and listen to the first episode if you haven't. I implore you. It is a very, very inspiring story of why community energy matters. Now, on the subject of inspiration, this episode I'm talking to two incredibly inspiring and powerful disruptors about why they think community energy is vital to solving the climate crisis. Spoiler, it's because it's something we can all do locally. I'm always looking for people-centred approaches that will bring the climate crisis down to local level in a people-centred climate justice way. I think it's very funny because I very often don't realise that I'm also the owner of an energy company, which is a bit strange, of course. I think it's very nice, the idea that you together make enough energy to be sure that everything in my house is done on real renewable Dutch energy. Mary Robinson is the former president of Ireland and UN High Commissioner for Human Rights and current chair of the Elders. That's a group of visionary leaders founded by Nelson Mandela in 2007. And Marianne Menesma has built community energy projects in the Netherlands and made history when she galvanised 900 fellow Dutch citizens and took her government to court three times. Now, this became the first successful climate case worldwide to order the state to reduce its emissions. So here we have two forces of nature working for nature. We're going to start with one of my personal heroes, Mary Robinson. So what has community energy got to do with climate justice? I think to answer that, I have to explain why we need a climate justice approach because of the layers of injustice of climate change. And the first layer is that climate change has disproportionately and much earlier affected developing countries, small island states, indigenous communities who are least responsible for the problem. And that's also a racial injustice because they are the black and brown and indigenous peoples in our world, including in the developed parts of our world. Secondly, the gender dimension within that, uh, that women have different social roles, they have different access to power, different access to capital, maybe different rights, they may not have land rights, and yet they have to put food on the table, go further in drought for water and uh, firewood in, in, in some countries. Thirdly, the intergenerational injustice that children have been calling us out on. Fourthly, and it's a subtle but important one, the injustice of the different pathways to development of different regions. Europe and the United States and Korea and Japan, we built our economies on fossil fuel. You know, if developing countries who have to take their people out of poverty go the dirty route and exploit their gas and coal and and oil, they may well be affected first, but it will use up the carbon budget. 
So it makes absolute self-interest sense for us to have that solidarity. So all of that means we need a climate justice approach at every level. We need it at the top down, governments taking their responsibility, corporations, cities, etc. But we need the bottom up, all of people approach because this is so important. In Ireland, Mary has started to see community energy really taking off. I'm a bit encouraged that it is taking off. I mean, you have 400 or so uh, community uh, energy groups in Ireland. And, uh, you know, it's a growing part of what we need to do. I've realised we we, we have some advantage of size in Ireland. And we're actually good at uh, working in community, at community level. Why is it important? Um, Because people have to see the benefits of changing. We must change, you know, socially, economically and financially. Europe as a whole, cutting emissions by 55%. The UK has just said they'll cut emissions by 78% by 2035. These are really big challenges that cannot be met without communities getting involved and seeing the advantage of having opportunities to refit their houses so their energy is cheaper, have their own generators of renewable energy so their energy is cheaper. At the moment, the feeling is and it's going to cost more. What am I going to do? We need to make it absolutely positive and fair and community-driven, actually. Historically, some of the resistance to renewables comes from the fact that they can be visible at a local level. Some people would say they don't really want to see a wind turbine or a solar field close to where they live. That's where community energy has a real advantage. If people own the turbines and the solar farms, they could feel very different about seeing them outside their window. It's about something they've chosen and can benefit from directly, rather than something imposed on them with no tangible local benefits. And it's also being careful about projects, not to put huge projects into um, areas that have great scenic beauty, where the whole community rises up in revolt. We've had quite a bit of that. We've also had too much of the not in my backyard, frankly, because we need this energy. So that has to be countered by community in the right sense, saying, no, actually, this is good for us. And those pylons, you know, they're they're actually quite attractive and, you know, they're becoming more efficient and we need them. But we also need the policies. I mean, I'm pleased that at the European Union level, they're realising the need for a bottom-up approach with the Climate Pact, the European Climate Pact, which was launched last December. It's important because it's going to increasingly reach out to communities. And what I want the European Union to do is to link more with African countries because I'm honorary president with Ellen Johnson Sirleaf of a new foundation called the Africa Europe Foundation. And the whole sense of it is to have a more equal partnership between the European Union and the African Union and Europe and Africa. And we've had a number of meetings, and one of them was on energy, including clean cooking and that sort of energy. And we were trying to link community-based projects in Europe and in Africa. And I think there's great potential there. Mary has been working in Africa as part of her role with the elders. Now, she thinks community energy could work to help electrify Africa without having to build expensive fossil fuel-based infrastructure, which is generally funded by profit-hungry large energy companies. 
In the same way that mobile phone technology has transformed many developing countries, skipping the need for big telecoms and high prices, community energy could be a similar game changer for remote areas. Community energy can develop off-grid effective energy, not just a light bulb in every house, which is not enough. It's important and it's important to have clean cooking, but it's also important to have energy for manufacturing, energy for community lights, energy for water systems, waste management. And communities can really help on that. And we're only at the beginning of understanding just how effective this can be. And there is a very warm community sense in Africa, the Ubuntu principles. I'm chair of the elders who are brought together by Nelson Mandela around that you know, spirit of Ubuntu, working on peace, justice and human rights, but doing it by listening to communities and paying attention to what they want rather than coming from the outside with outside ideas. And there are a lot of very bright, smart people, including young people in Africa. I, I, I'm so impressed by some of the African young climate uh, activists. Uh, Vanessa in uh, Uganda, who has done so much already as a, as a, as a young woman and, 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 and many others. You're listening to We The Power, a podcast from Patagonia about community energy. And there's a bit of a theme developing here. In the first episode of We The Power, we found out that many of the best examples of community energy on social housing were built around amazing women. Mary also sees that there is something intrinsically female about community energy. I think there's a direct link between the way that women tend to see leadership we see it as problem-solving, more participatory, less hierarchical, less macho, frankly. And similarly at community level, that's why women get involved at community level, because it's, it's fulfilling of the way they want to lead. It's a feminist form of leadership. I have a podcast at the moment that I do with a young Irish comedian, Maeve Higgins, who was eight years old when I was elected president. And we talk seriously about climate, but we do it with a lot of humour because she's very, very funny and she's only half respectful of me, which makes it even funnier. And we have a byline that climate change is a man-made problem that requires a feminist solution. And I think it's a problem that requires a community-based solution, building on the way that women tend to want to problem-solve. That's also the way communities tend to want to problem-solve. By having our clean energy generator locally, we can bring the cost of energy down. By working together on how we get grants for uh, homes to be refitted, and to do it collectively can be really uh, energising for communities. The big question for everyone at the moment is what about COP26, the UN climate conference in Glasgow? Well, it's been described as our last chance, but does small-scale community energy matter when we need heads of state to agree big, ambitious targets on emissions? I think it does. I think it's important that we do have momentum on community energy at COP26 in Glasgow. And as part of my climate justice, I've become aware um, that mistakes are being made in the provision of clean energy. Uh, particularly in developing countries, by going for big projects without consulting local communities and often very damaging to those local communities. <laughs> it seems a contradiction, but unfortunately it isn't. So I think the more we can build with communities at the heart of it, the more we will trust what we're doing. So what do we need to get more renewable community energy that we can trust? 
in too many places and in too many countries, renewable energy seems very expensive or remote or unaffordable. We need to bring all this much closer to people by community uh, projects and grants to community, which governments increasingly are doing, including the Irish government. We are seeing uh, more incentives in the recent budget in Ireland, for example. I think it's happening elsewhere in Europe. But we need to actually understand that this is the way to really generate not just clean energy, but also that we are imagining this future that we need to be hurrying towards. Um, I, I often say to people they need to take three steps. And the first step is to make the climate crisis personal in your life. And that means you have to be doing something today, now, that you weren't doing as much before. You know, better recycling, less waste, and more efficiency, maybe change your diet. That's the first step. The second step is get angry with those who have more power and aren't doing enough, and that's governments, corporations, cities, etc. And the third step, which is the most important, is we must imagine this world we need to be hurrying towards. And that's, we're not doing that enough. And community power helps a lot because it shows people it will reflect well in your pocket, which is really important for people and their families. We want this future. We want to work for it as a community. We want to live in this future that will be much healthier because there'll be none of the pollution of fossil fuel, which kills 8.7 million people a year, I think is a recent statistic. And We'll have greener places in cities, greener rewilding, biodiversity, etc. And we can get excited about that and we can have schools and universities and communities excited about it. That was Mary Robinson, chair of the Elders, former president of Ireland and all-round legend. So, when you have a chat with Mary, you become convinced quite quickly that there's a really solid link between community energy and climate justice and social justice. They all just work together. Now, as I understand it, the right to electricity isn't officially classified as a human right. But it kind of is, isn't it? Because without access to energy, it's very hard to make a living. And the price we pay for energy feeds into everything we buy and do. Then there's a sort of meta question. Do we want large, unresponsive corporates to make money out of something so fundamental to life? And if we don't want that, what do we want instead? Many of us don't know the answer. And I wanted to speak to someone who definitely knows the answer. And that is Marianne Menesma. She's founder of the Citizens Action Group, Yagenda. Now, she's incredibly nice and fun, but my God, she takes absolutely no prisoners. For Marianne, community energy is about showing people what's possible, what a greener, fairer world looks like, and then joining up projects to give them a platform that can compete with the big energy providers. And in doing all this, she's also become the boss of her own energy company. She's actually incredible. Speaking to her is like going on holiday. Well, one of our icon projects was the Isle of Tessel, which is an island in the northern part of the Netherlands, and they wanted to become energy neutral. And they started then with an energy cooperation. And I assisted them with that. And you could see that a lot of people were looking at this first energy cooperation and were asking the director there, how do I do this? Can I copy you? And so on and so on. And the director was so busy with that that we discussed it together and said, we should make one 
overarching energy cooperation that will assist all the new small cooperations to become a full-fledged cooperation so that we would have all the statutory things that you need to have and all the tax things and etc etc so we started this cooperation which was say the mother cooperation for all the small ones and by now this has grown to 55 cooperations I think it's very funny because I very often don't realize that I'm also the owner of an energy company, which is a bit strange, of course. Now listen to the next bit of Marianne's story because it just makes me laugh. She basically convinces people to invest in solar panels, which have to be shipped from China to the Netherlands. And she really has nothing more to offer them than her word, which fortunately she was good for. I was very excited about the fact that there was a subsidy scheme on solar panels, but it was sold out within an hour. And there were 30,000 people in the Netherlands that came too late and that wanted to have solar panels, but could not have the subsidy. And I thought if I combine all those people and we buy jointly, maybe we can bring the price down and we don't even need the subsidy. So that was the idea. And then I found some people in China that were Dutch and were working in the solar business for more than 10 years. And I asked them, how many solar panels do I need to buy together to have a real price reduction? 10, 100, a million? I had no clue. So they came back after a month and said, if you buy 50,000 solar panels, which was at that time 10 megawatts, which was quite a lot, and the inverters, then we have a deal for you that we can bring the price down with one third if you compare it to the price now on the market. So one third less. I thought, well, that's really interesting. So I said, well, I'm going to try. And at that time I had an interview with a big newspaper and they put it on the front page. Urgenda is stunting with solar panels. And we had really thousands of people calling us uh, with all questions. And I had no answers at that time. Like, are they black? Are they blue? Is the side of the panel also black? My husband has a radio station. Is it interfering? Well, you, the most crazy questions. And I had to email those guys in China all the time. Like, are they black? Are they blue? Blah, blah, blah. But after a month, I was a real specialist together with my secretary, who, by the way, didn't know that I was doing this. So on the day that the newspaper was coming out, she called me and said, Marianne, what are you doing with solar panels? I have thousands of phone calls. So we had to address all those people. But within a few months, we were really experts and we found... 5,000 or more people that were prepared to pay and buy those 50,000 solar panels. And we asked them to pay 20% upfront. And people simply paid for 20%. So I had 5 million euro in a new bank account within a few months, which was really like, wow, they, they believe me. In Dutch, we say on my blue eyes, because I had never sold a solar panel before. I was not an expert on it. And they simply thought if she says she's going to buy it, then she probably will. And then I thought, very naive, okay, I have 5 million euros. So normally you buy something, then you pay immediately. Then it goes on a boat to the Netherlands. And then six weeks later, it comes to the customers. And usually customers pay when they get the product. So for the six weeks, you need an intermittent financial arrangement. And I thought, I have already sold them. I have 5 million euros. So those six weeks, that should be possible. Well, all banks in the Netherlands said no, because they have a kind of risk committee and they said, uh, have you done it before? No. Do you have money of yourself? No, 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 no. And I couldn't get those six weeks of grant. Wow. So they weren't prepared to do it on the basis of your blue eyes? No, they weren't. So I flew to China 
And I told those big, the biggest companies on solar panels in China, and they were much more prepared to look at my blue eyes than the Dutch ones, because they said, okay, this might be a new business model, because everywhere in Europe, the subsidy schemes are going down. This is a collective buying. You are the first in Europe. I didn't know that. They did. And they said, that's very interesting. So we give you few more discounts and you have to pay us only two weeks after the panels have arrived in the Netherlands. So I could email everybody, we're going through and if you are prepared to pay uh, the solar panels a bit earlier, then you get another discount of 50 euros. And everybody wanted the discount. So I had 20 million in the bank account when the panels were still at the sea. So we didn't use any bank in the end and we could, didn't need any subsidy and we provided the Netherlands with 50,000 solar panels. And that was really the start of an exponential spurt which has happened since then. I'm almost lost for words at this point because this is such an incredible story. It was very funny. I could write a whole book about it because, of course, some people would call me and say, how do I know that you're not going to the Bahamas? And then I said, well, I don't like the Bahamas, but please come by and have a cup of coffee. Or people would say, how do we know that you exist? And I said, well, I exist, but come by and drink a cup of coffee. And only a few did that. And I gave them a cup of coffee and then they paid. And there were a few people that said, I am 90 and my children think it's not wise to do this. Uh, but in the end, everybody did it. And we only communicated by email. And as long as you keep people up to date and tell them what's happening, because what happened, we had planned, say, I don't know, uh, the 1st of April that they would get their solar panels. And then we had Fukushima. And because of Fukushima, all boats need, needed to take another road. And they ended up five days later in Europe. And what I didn't know is that the lorries that would take the solar panels and bring it to the houses don't wait for five days. So when they were finally there, there were no lorries. <laughs> and they, so all the solar panels were in the harbor and we were calling all over Europe for people with lorries to bring the solar panels to the houses. And so we had many things that happened along the way. But as long as you keep explaining people what's happening and why, they accept it. And that was very special. So I've learned a lot from that also. Now, I think we all know by this point that Marianne is a woman who gets things done. Her next move was the first lawsuit aiming to find a national government, this is the first anywhere in the world, guilty of failing to safeguard its people from the ravages of climate change. That was in 2015. She has now, at this point, beaten the Dutch government three times and she's convinced the courts to rule that Holland must reduce emissions by at least 25%. Then just in case they hadn't got the message, in 2019, she gave the government a plan, just handed it over. So we have won three times. And because we saw coming that it would be uh, very late before this final court would give its uh, appreciation, we made a plan together with 820 organisations in the Netherlands, which we call the 54 Solutions Plan, with 54 different measures that the government could still take to reach the 25% reduction in 2020. So we also gave them a plan. One of the solutions was make a better system for the energy cooperation so that they can do more community energy. One of the plans was make this legislation in a way that it stimulates more community energy. And they did this. And putting power into people's hands... Does it also transform 
well, not just their electricity bills, what does it do for people? Well, you see that when people have the idea that they are the master of this whole system and that they can invent things and that there is money then available to do things, they become more and more enthusiastically. Uh, because if there is a wind turbine in your uh, site and all the money flows to some big uh, CEO that is making a lot of money, then you think, what an ugly wind turbine. But if you know that there will be 100,000 euros of profit for your uh, local energy corporation, and then it's your wind turbine, and then it's your money, and then it's a nice wind turbine, and then you want the next one. And that's what we see happening. If, if the, the funds flow back to the local communities, then they don't think it's ugly anymore. Marianne and Mary are really at the front end of the climate justice battle. They're looking at things from a global perspective. Sure, they're talking to heads of state and holding governments to account. But what I find really interesting and compelling is that they both see local small-scale community energy projects as key to the bigger story about climate. They can zoom out and they can zoom in up close. Because it's also about getting people to see that working together to produce something like energy can be liberating. All those community energy projects start with a group of people that want to make a change and that join and also think it's fun to do something together because it should not be some kind of job. It's something you do on the side next to your job and it should be fun, I think. The good thing about the whole COVID crisis is that people stayed at home and also saved some more money because of that, because you could not go out shopping or eating or whatsoever. So I think this is the time to say, well, let's not all go back to shopping, but use it for, for example, a solar panel project, because that gives you energy. It also is a a long-lasting way of saving money. And I think that this is the right time to say together, let's join and make a community energy project What are the ways of people on low income, restricted income, fallen income, how can they be involved? Because this this shouldn't just be for people who um, are lucky enough to have savings. No, of course not. And that's what's nice about the community, that you have hopefully a group of people that is mixed. Some of them might have the money, others might not. Some of them might be good in organization. You can also organize something together if it can be a fancy fair or climbing a mountain or whatsoever. And in that way, try to collect money together and then build your first solar panel wall or whatever. So invent some things that you can do together and look for a group of people that all bring something. Out of those community gatherings, always new ideas arise. That's what I see. There's always a few people that have always ideas, but not always are not always the ones that make it possible to happen. And there's others that think, okay, if that's what you want, I can make it happen. But it should always be fun too. <laughs> so, And it's nice to do things together. I've seen people in those communities that say, I have nothing with sustainability. I'm not really interested, but I think it's nice to do something with my neighbors. And I always say, I don't care why you do it. Maybe because you think your neighbor is a nice man or woman. Uh, As long as you do something, uh, I don't care whether you do it for sustainability or for the money, but make steps and do something. That's it from this episode of We The Power. If I'm going to take one thing away from Marianne and Mary, it is simply just do something. Thank you so much to my guests, Mary Robinson and Marianne Menesma, two of the most amazing people I have come across. 
Now, on the next episode of We The Power, we're going to meet more great people, and this time in unexpected locations. James Ellsmore is going to tell me why small islands are actually leading the way with the really big ideas on community energy and new technology. And I'll be hearing from the tiny island of Egg in Scotland. What is it really like to create and run your own energy system? This is Lucy Siegel. And if you want to find out more about this incredible world of community energy, just go to the website patagonia.com forward slash we the power. There's everything you need to get started. I'm convinced of it. A big thanks to our lovely producer, Helen Leonard, and to Grace Swan for the music. See you next time. You have been listening to We The Power, a podcast from Patagonia. For more information, visit patagonia.com slash we the power. We the power.